the rest of us are going to be in Philemon. If uh, you don't know or remember where Philemon is, it's this tiny little letter right before Hebrews. So that's a big one that's easy to find. Not sure why Philemon is there, since it is, uh, was written to accompany the letter to the Colossians. So it's, uh, I don't know why it got stuck in that particular order. But All right. By the way, Ed can't answer, nor can his family, because I already know the answer to this question from them. But how many of you have actually heard a sermon on Philemon? All right, two people. Three people, good. Oh, one of All right, the rest of you are going to be able to raise your hand next time, so that's good. Um, it's a neglected letter, is uh, my point in doing that. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures which you have given us by the Spirit to make us wise for salvation through faith in your Son. We ask that you would make even the first couple verses of this letter profitable to us teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. Father, make us mature as individuals and as a church, people who are equipped for good works as we study the Scriptures this morning. In Christ's name, amen. It was sort of a perfect storm of badness that was coming on the horizon. It just, you know, if you get, in retrospect, you look at it and you go, oh man, I should have known that this was not going to go well. It was a situation that involved my last mission trip uh, with Orangewood down to Mexico City. I had led the, the, the trip the previous year because my roommate Charlie had gotten married. In the intervening time since that mission trip, Charlie had become the, uh, intern overseeing the singles ministry, and the, the mission trip was therefore under his auspices. I had also tried for that job and didn't get it. So you start to see how all these things start to kind of come together. Charlie decided, or I can't remember when it happened, but it was decided that I was going to lead the trip in 1998, but Charlie and his wife Coco were also going to go on the trip in 1998. When uh, our friend Chris had made me the one who led 97 in Charlie's absence, uh, he kind of basically was very hands-off in his leadership style. He basically said, Steve, go at it, figuring I had the capability to figure out how to do this. And I had a good right-hand man who helped me who had been on numerous trips. And so when I had a question, I just asked David, and David gave me an answer, and we kind of moved on with life. So everything had gone well in 97. So it was a little frustrating to me in, 90, in 98, the next year, when Charlie, whose leadership style was a little bit different than Chris's, began to ask me all sorts of questions and make all sorts of demands of me. It sort of like felt like, don't you trust me, Charlie? I've done this. It went well. It's going to be okay. And so I was sort of chafing a little bit under his style of leadership, and it began to affect our relationship in some ways. 
We began to have conflict that neither of us wanted to have but had to deal with. The situation about this letter is about a conflict that probably the two men involved didn't want and probably didn't want to address either. But we're going to see how Christ dealt with that conflict through the course of this letter. A lot of the details are not important to us. We're going to find that it's actually kind of slim on some of those details. What matters is the big picture. The big idea this morning is that Christ provides godly relationships to handle difficult circumstances. And by that, it's not just limited to conflict. What we see here is going to be applicable to more than just that. And the first part that I want us to see from the Scriptures is that Christ provides mature people to intervene. There was a personal conflict between between two men, Philemon and Onesimus. This was a conflict that threatened to overflow into the church there in Colossae. And so Paul, in the writing of this letter, intervenes into the conflict in order to apply the gospel to the conflict, just to show, in a sense, Philemon, and he's probably already shown Onesimus, how the truths of the gospel are meant to address the circumstances that they were experiencing. As we're going to see in future times here, Onesimus is by Paul's side. Remember from the end of the letter to the Colossians, Onesimus sends his greetings. Onesimus is going to return with, a, with um, the bearer of the letter. And so at this point when it's written, Onesimus is by Paul's side. It's perhaps he is, who's the one who asked Paul to write the letter. He perhaps is the one who wants these things to be resolved. And Paul is now intervening as a mediator of sorts. Paul identifies himself at the beginning here of this letter as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. That's very different from how he addressed himself or described himself to the Colossian church. In one one of the letter to the Colossians, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. There, because of the false teaching within the church, Paul had to use his title as, a, as apostle, his position and his status. He said, I am an authoritative teacher in the church. Please listen to me. But here, he's not doing that. He's not invoking his authority as an apostle in this letter to Philemon. He's taking a very different approach. Instead, he comes, in a sense, with humility because he is a prisoner of Christ. He comes as one, writes as one, who is not invoking his office, but his chains. His service and his ministry to King Jesus have resulted in imprisonment. And so it's not that Jesus took him captive, but I think it's more the idea that he is captive because of his faith and service to Jesus. Paul would describe himself as a slave of Christ, but not necessarily a prisoner of Christ. Do you understand the distinction that's there? On this Sunday, it's sort of appropriate that we come across this because there are many people now who are prisoners because of Christ. In numerous countries, dozens of countries around the world, there are people right now at this moment sitting in cells 
because of their faith in Christ. And so Paul is not the only one that this happened to. Indeed, as we talked about uh, last week, that everyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so Paul experiences that, and many people today around the world experience that, and it may be something that we experience as well. We don't know what will happen. But like a slave, so to speak, Paul, because of his imprisonment, is limited by the authority of others. He can't come and go as he pleases. He was probably in house arrest, so it wasn't like he was in prison per se, but still he's bound, he's captive, he can't go anywhere unless he receives the permission of his guards, and they're always going to be with him. Today it would be as if he had one of those little anklet bracelets there, you know, that keeps track of where you are. Make sure that you can't go someplace you don't belong. And so he is a captive with few rights, with few privileges. In other words, he sits in a place similar to Onesimus. And I think he wants Philemon to recognize that. Onesimus most likely sought out Paul to intervene on his behalf in this conflict with Philemon. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later today in terms of the theories as to how this happened. But what I want us to see as we think about this is that in addition to his word, in addition to his spirit, Christ also gives us mature leaders to help us. There was something going on... Uh, that Philemon himself and Onesimus couldn't solve. And they didn't just say, it's up to us and Jesus. Paul intervenes. And see, Paul's not the only one who does this. The, letter that, the third letter that John writes, he mentions that he wrote a letter about Diotrephes. Paul, uh, John was intervening in that circumstance, in that particular church, because there was a problem there. The leaders of the church should not feel restrained in beginning to intervene at times when there are problems. And so one of the things that happened in my conflict with Charlie is that we went to breakfast with Joe Creech, who was the pastor of missions at Orangewood Presbyterian Church. And one of the things that Joe said to us, now he, he could have invoked his authority as the pastor and, and just declared things, you do this, you do that. But what he did say, which was so good and so pastoral, was, if you guys can't figure this out, you shouldn't be in ministry. <laughs> he put the onus back on us to find God's way through the solution. And that's essentially what Paul is going to say here. He's, but he's intervening in this regard to help them dis- to resolve this dispute. This is not the only time, the only place we see this. When false teachers had begun, uh, you know, from the Pharisees had come and stirred up trouble within the church in Antioch in Acts 14, teaching that Gentiles had to be circumcised and they couldn't resolve it there in the church in Antioch, what did they do? They sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to seek the wisdom and the counsel of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. It's not a bad thing to seek help when you need it. Jethro, as we saw in Exodus 18, drew near to Moses because he saw Moses was killing himself. He was trying to minister to a million and a half people and all of their problems, and there's just no way it could happen. And Jethro says, appoint elders, people from all the different people groups, so that that's the first line. They come to them, and only the hard cases come to you. 
God provided godly men, mature men, to assist the people in all of their disputes. Paul himself in Philippians chapter 4 says, uh, I entreat Eudea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. These women were having some sort of conflict over something and Paul interjects, intervenes there and says, you've got to sort this thing out. Maybe Joe Creech had that passage in mind when he sat down with us over breakfast. And so there are times in our marriages, there are times in our church lives or at work when, when things aren't working out that we can't resolve a particular question. We cannot resolve a conflict. And there are times when we need to seek the leadership of the church. We need to humble ourselves and say, help us to resolve this. There are also times when mature Christians may notice a problem and unasked begin to say, hey, I see this is going on. I I noticed that you and your wife lately, you know, at worship have not really looked like you're on the same page. Can we talk about this? Do you need someone to come alongside and listen to both of you and help you sort this out in the presence of Jesus Christ? And so Christ provides mature Christians to facilitate a redemptive community, one in which problems are addressed and resolved as opposed to blowing up in everybody's face. Secondly, not only does Christ provide mature people to intervene, but Christ provides local communities to assist. This letter was written not just to Philemon. Philemon is the first person who's mentioned. He is the recipient of the letter. We find that once we get beyond the greetings, all of those um, yous, can't see that in English, but all of the yous become singular instead of plural. So he's only addressing one person. It typically would be the first person that was mentioned, Philemon. And so in this instance, Paul doesn't just send it to Philemon, however, but he also sends it to others. He provides, in a sense, witnesses. Witnesses to come alongside Philemon as he seeks to resolve this problem that he has with Onesimus. But he identifies Philemon in this way. He says, my beloved fellow worker. In other words, Philemon was known to Paul, known by Paul, Loved by Paul, and the implication that he is perhaps served with Paul. Not just that he serves, but he perhaps served with Paul. He may have been one of those converted by Paul's ministry in Ephesus, just like Epaphras was. And now he's a church leader. Why do you th- would I think that he perhaps was converted by Paul's ministry? Because later in the letter, in verse 19, he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Hey, that sounds familiar from the end of Colossians. But he also writes, I will repay it, meaning whatever debt, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. That's the key phrase. 
Philemon owed Paul his own self. The implication being it was, it was through Paul that the gospel found Philemon. Take Paul out of the equation and Philemon is lost in his sin. And so that's why I believe that uh, Philemon was converted by the ministry of Paul, most likely in Ephesus. It is also written to Aphia, who Paul identifies as our sister. This is all we know about her. That's it. That phrase. Many believe that she was actually Philemon's wife. And that's a very reasonable assumption. Also written to Archippus, who we saw at the very end of uh, the letter to the Colossians, who, as we mentioned there, was most likely or probably the son of uh, Philemon and therefore also of Aphia. He's identified by Paul as our fellow soldier. He's also engaging in ministry. Now, what's interesting here is that there was a John Knox, not the John Knox. You know, when I say John Knox, I, I think immediately of the reformer from Scotland, okay? The fiery one who, give me Scotland or I die kind of prayer guy, okay? And so when I read this, this in commentaries initially and said, John Knox, he never believed that. This was a different John Knox. <laughs> he believed that it was actually written to Archippus and that he was the, the one. And he kind of, he's got this long sort of convoluted theory as to why he thinks this. But in reality, this theory kind of puts everything else on its head. It really um, ignores a lot of history and tradition and, and social convention uh, within that period of time. So I put no stock in what the other John Knox has said. So, but I thought we should mention that not everyone agrees. Okay. But with the mention of these three people, we see that essentially this was a ministry family. They weren't uh, super Christians, but nor, neither were they ordinary Christians. They were very engaged in ministry. And yet we see that Philemon could use their help in addition to Paul's help. Paul is calling them to come alongside in addition to himself coming alongside because Philemon is going to need help on the floor, you know, in the field, so to speak, to address this particular issue. Philemon, because he was the head of the household, was responsible for this because it was a household matter. It involved one of his slaves, Onesimus. But just because it was his responsibility doesn't mean that he was the only person involved. And so these others were involved, and therefore they could be part of the solution. On that trip to Mexico in 98, Charlie wasn't the only person I was having trouble getting along with. The other person I was having trouble getting along with was my landlord and friend who had helped me on the previous trip, David. I'm not sure exactly what happened between trip one and trip two, but all of a sudden, well, probably part of it was I felt more confident, so I went to him less. I didn't need his help as much. Uh, and maybe that sort of, I don't know what that did for him, but... From my perspective, he was sort of leaving me out of the loop on things. Maybe I was acting like Charlie, wanting to be more hands-on. I don't know. But there were things in which it seemed like he was making decisions that I should have been making instead of him. 
Now, we had this dual relationship thing. He's the head of the household, but I'm leading the trip. And so there are areas in which I was refusing to submit to him as the head of the household, as my landlord, and there are areas in which he's refusing to submit to me uh, you know, because I'm leading the mission trip. And so we're butting heads. And our roommates kept trying to come alongside us and say, brothers, you need to sort this out. We're involved. We're, we're, in, the, we're in the battlefield here, and we don't like it. The two of you need to figure this thing out somehow. I wish they would have sat down and helped us talk it through. (laughs) That may have been a little more helpful. But we see that Paul is essentially bringing these people along into into this mix so that they can provide some of the, the wisdom and perspective that perhaps Philemon and Onesimus needed to see from outside of themselves. But it's not only that, Paul says, and the church in your house. Not just your family, but also the church that meets there. Philemon is going to need their help as well in resolving this issue. Remember, Paul said to Syndiki and Eudea to sort things out. Yes, I also ask you, he said in the next verse, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so... Paul says, you, leaders of the church locally, come alongside them. Help them to resolve this conflict. So in Philippi, he wanted the church, not just the leadership, to help the two women out. And so part of the reality that we have to admit is that Christ gives us the whole congregation to help us out. He doesn't just give us pastors and elders to assist us, but oftentimes there can be other members within the body who can come alongside and assist us. This is seen in that sort of the idea of the one another ministry passages. There are all all those passages in Paul's letters, you know, do this for one another, do that for one another. There's meant to be some mutual ministry that occurs within the body. In other words, Paul recognizes that no pastor, no elder has all the time to deal with all the issues that exist within a congregation. And one of the things that's going to happen here, uh, it is already happening because we're growing, is that I only have so many hours in the day. One another ministry has to take place. There are, there are things, it's sort of like similar to what the situation with Moses was. Moses, you deal with the hard stuff, the real hard stuff, but there's other people that help you deal with the not as hard stuff. And so there's certain things that perhaps other members of this body can help you with. And the hard stuff comes to the session to resolve it. But it means that essentially we all have to be in this together. We all have to work Together And when problems emerge, we don't just run away. We don't just hide. We don't just stick it under the, the, the carpet. We deal with them redemptively to restore peace to the church. This is part of why Paul says in Galatians 6, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so if we see a brother or sister that is bearing a burden, 
We don't just watch from the sidelines. Perhaps we get involved. Recognize, of course, your limitations in getting involved. (laughs) Not, you know, there's maybe situations that you know, I'm in over my head. It's time to call Steve or call one of the elders or call someone else I know. Recognize your limitations. So you don't want to make it worse. But there are many things that you could engage in to bear your brother or sister's burden. And Paul connects this with the law of Christ. To love your brother and sister as Christ has loved you. To do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That whole idea. If you were the one with the burden, wouldn't you want someone to come alongside and help you? And so when you see one carrying that burden, don't you, shouldn't you want to come alongside and perhaps if you're able to help them, to assist them? And so there's an element that should be present within the body of accountability. Sometimes accountability gets a bad name, and that's because it's easily abused. Okay, so I recognize that it's often abused. But when it is done in a context of love and grace, instead of trying to find the sin of another, it can be a very helpful thing for keeping us all on track. And so Christ enables all of the local church to be a redemptive community. But I haven't told you how yet, have I? I've just told you what. Let's get to how. Again, it goes back to Christ. Christ provides grace and peace to sustain communities. While this is a standard greeting in Paul's day, it is quite the appropriate greeting in light of the occasion for this letter. He is writing because Onesimus is returning to Colossae after what had to have been a painful departure, an unexpected departure. See, he and Philemon are not at peace. When he returns, there's going to be conflict. Philemon is going to need grace to repair the fractured relationship that he has with Onesimus. Now, we don't know what happened to create the problem. But we know it was big enough that it occasioned this letter. So it had to be big enough. There are two main theories as to why in the world Onesimus was with Paul. The first theory excuse me, is that Onis- it got so bad that Onesimus ran away. As a runaway slave, he somehow bumped into Paul presumably was converted, and we're going to see why we believe he was converted while he was with Paul later on. But now Paul is sending him back. That's one theory. The second theory is similar, except that he's not running away. He's not trying to escape slavery, but it was permissible for a slave to seek a mediator to come between him and his master to resolve a problem. And so the second theory is that uh, Onesimus, knowing of Philemon's relationship with Paul, knowing that Philemon respected Paul, he specifically sought out Paul 
to come and be the mediator between himself and Philemon. So it was not an accident that he, went, he found Paul, but he went, he went looking for Paul, knowing that he was imprisoned and therefore wasn't going anywhere for a while. And for, for Philemon to address this, he would need grace. Peace as well. Because the peace of the church was about to be disrupted by Onesimus' return, people might be tempted to take sides when they hear what's going on. Some might say, I, I side with Philemon, I side with Onesimus. And there's a possibility it could have split the church into factions. And Paul didn't want the church to be split into factions. It's not about choosing sides, it's about resolving the conflict in Paul's mind. And so he prays that they would receive the peace. Now both the grace and the peace come from the Father and the Son precisely because of the Son's work for us. For instance, Ephesians 4, Paul tells them, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you look at the Greek, that forgiving word is gracing. Gracing one another as God in Christ graced you. And so Philemon and Onesimus, because they're in Christ, have both received grace, part of that pardoning or forgiving grace. They've received this grace so that then they can extend grace to one another. During that period of conflict with my friend and my landlord, I was uh, in the counseling program, which meant I had supervision. And so we would talk about our clients and what, how to kind of address the needs of our clients, but there would also be personal stuff that we could talk to our supervisor with. And so I would talk with my supervisor about this. And literally... It became an issue for me of whether I was going to hand over the keys to David, the keys of my car, because that was one of the issues. Where I parked my car, it sounded so stupid to me, (laughs) but it really was an act of submission. You own the house, you decide where I park, and you can move my car if I don't park it in the right place. I had to hand over my keys, my spare keys, to David. Only way I could do that was by the grace of God who enables me to humble myself and submit the proper authority. And so Onesimus would need the grace of God to humble himself, to submit to uh, Philemon's proper authority, but there has also been damage done that we're going to talk about a little bit later, and it is only because of the grace of God that Philemon has received that he can forgive Onesimus for the wrongs that he's done. And so the grace is for both parties because both parties need it to resolve the conflict. And so when we're in the midst of a situation that we can't sort out, we have to remember God's grace to us so that we can extend it to the other person. I didn't walk up to David and say, here are my keys, and oh, by the way, here's the five sins you've committed against me, by golly. Okay? Wasn't addressing that. It was about me submitting to him 
in that instance. We need that peace. Not an existential peace, but that idea of wholeness, that absence of conflict, but greater than the absence of conflict. Both of them needed to know that their peace with God so that they could live in peace with one another, despite their differences. And so, Paul is essentially taking the benefits of the gospel and applying them to the situation of conflict so that Onesimus and Philemon can now live together in harmony and the church can live in harmony. As our congregation grows... There are going to be more people to sin against you and more people for you to sin against. Isn't that great? (laughs) So much more. Our need for the grace and peace of Christ. Okay? The more sinners you have in a group, the harder it's going to be but the grace of Christ is sufficient to deal with that. The question is, are we going to look for it? Are we going to seek it? Are we going to trust Him for it? So Christ redeemed people, individuals, through His work on the cross for sinners. That's how this grace and peace comes to us, as we saw in Colossians repeatedly. But he's also building a redeemed community. It's not just about Jesus saving individuals. It's him building them into a body, building them into a family, building them into a living temple, a community. He also sends the Spirit to convict people of their sin and to give them saving faith. It's by this same Spirit that he makes the redeemed community a redemptive community. And so part of what that means, it's not the only thing, but part of what it means is helping each other in conflict. Helping each other in hardship and affliction by coming alongside to show others how the gospel matters in their circumstances. I pray that 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 it already marks us, but it will mark us even more. That we'll continue to grow in this as we continue to grow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this little letter. And I thought I wasn't going to be able to say anything this week. And I thank you that uh, you who inspired the book also worked to open my eyes to see what's here. Open my eyes to see what is before me, not only in the Scriptures, but in our little church. And so, Father, continue to work by Your Word and by Your Spirit so that we can indeed engage in that one another ministry that's important. That we can uh, forget the, the idea, the lie that we suffer alone in the midst of uh, conflict that you have provided us with brothers and sisters to come 
and help us work through it. So thank you for this uh, unofficial means of grace, the community of your people. Help us to make use of that means when we need it. Help us to be that means when others need it so that we might grow spiritually more and more into the fullness of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.